Synthetic fertilizer was critical to boosting food production and feeding people around the world. However, it comes at a cost. Student journalists from the Universities of Florida and Missouri spent 16 weeks reporting on the fertilizer industry and its benefits and harms. This investigative series tackles topics from the discovery of nitrogen and phosphorus to their manufacturing supersized chemical plants along the Mississippi River, to evaluating future solutions for food production and dealing with chemical waste. I'm Elliot Trito, your host. Working with me is fellow recent UF Journalism graduate Julia Cooper. Together, we'll be speaking with some of our fellow journalists for a look into our reporting on chemical production that feeds the world and also harms it. This is the Price of Plenty podcast, a How We Did It production. For a final episode of the Price of Plenty podcast, I spoke with UF reporters Abigail Haysbrook and Sarah Sowers. Abigail's reporting covers a trend in Florida fertilizer use that coincides with high prices, stricter regulations, and farmers rapidly losing their farmlands. While Sarah's story uncovers phosphate mining's, quote, vicious cycle, and how it may help provide the minerals needed for an energy transition away from fossil fuels. This is part five of our final part of the Price of Plenty series, Futures. So the article I did is looking at fertilizer use over time and how it appears, according to some of the trends that we looked at, that use is declining. Now, there's a lot of factors involved in this such as supply chain issues, inflation, even the conflict with Russia and Ukraine has caused the price to go up significantly in the past several months, which has led to less use simply because it may not be being bought as much. However, there are other factors at play that I wanted to look into, such as agriculture in Florida, which is also on a decline. Because of things like development, you know, we have so many people flocking to Florida right now, and we will for the next several years. And with that comes more development, which means less agricultural land. Additionally, there are things like citrus greening, which is a disease that kills off citrus crops. And so that has forced over the last almost 20 years a lot of farmers to have to sell their land, a lot of times to developers, because they can no longer big profit off of it. And so all of these things, along with farmers and industrymen and researchers realizing that fertilizer overuse has negative effects on the environment, has caused this sort of gradual change to want to use less and find ways to use fertilizer more efficiently so that you don't have overnutrients, you don't have runoff, trying to eliminate or at least reduce those problems. So I was looking at sort of the ways that that's happening through the lens of a farmer in Florida, as well as talking to scientists and researchers who can look into the future a bit and see, well, how can we continue in this path to try to make fertilizer use more efficient, all while there are legislative acts at play, such as potential bans on fertilizer ordinances and funding from the federal government to fertilizer use. So looking at all these factors and determining, is it declining? Will it be declining? And if so, why and how? So Abby, one of the things that uh, was really interesting about this 
this project we're working on is the excessive amount of fertilizers and how it's affecting not only just the nation but around the world. But one thing I think everyone can agree on when we're first working on the story is what the heck is fertilizers and how do we <laughs> define it? So I want to ask you, so like, um, so for our listeners out there, what is fertilizers and how does this affect everyone? That's a really good question. It's a really important question because, you know, speaking for myself, fertilizer is something that if you don't really know what it is, you might think of those big bags of dirt essentially at Lowe's or Home Depot or any of those hardware stores and you know, it kind of ends there. Maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but that's kind of what my very surface-level understanding of it was up until more recently. But essentially what fertilizer is, is it's nutrients, nutrients that are applied to crops or golf courses even. It has a myriad of uses, and it consists of nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium, which are essential for uh, living organism growth. A really wonderful analogy I can use was actually one that was provided to me by Mary Hartney, who is the president of the Fertilizer Agrochemical Association. She told me to compare, or rather she likened fertilizer needs of plants to the needs that we as humans have for nutrients from our food. And so she said in the same way that, you know, plants require, or rather in the same way that us as humans require certain nutrients to live, so do plants. It's the same idea. So fertilizer provides that. And it can be applied in various different ways. As I mentioned earlier, a lot, I was looking a lot at the efficiency of fertilizer use. There's dry fertilizer. There's liquid fertilizer. There are different ways to apply it depending on the size, the type of crop, every plant, every crop, every different type of whatever golf course <laughs> requires a different level of NPK, of nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. It's not, it's not universal. And that's also why it can be a challenge to find efficient uses because there is not a one-size-fits-all when it comes to fertilizer. Well, and that's, and that's very insightful because that's something that what we do as journalists, even though, you know, when, when journalists were gone finding a story, it's actually kind of, I think it's kind of refreshing when, when we're not only like a newsroom, technically, um, like an unofficial newsroom together when and we're doing this class, but we also kind of like, you know, it's a classroom setting. So it's kind of nice to hear like what everyone's kind of working on as well, even though we're all working on articles. I think it's also kind of cool that we're also learning about this at the same time as well. Absolutely. So I think it's really cool that, um, that you per you explained it perfectly. And I think that is something that, um, I, th pardon the pun, that plants a seed, I think, for us in general, when we go out into the workforce as well. And then technically you already have, so um, already with the Sentinel. So I do want to ask, um, with this um, in mind, so um, do, was this story idea that you had, was this something that was, uh, that you came up with, or was this something that was, um, that was pitched to you to work on? It was definitely a class-wide effort. It took me a while to find my footing with this story because I knew I wanted it to have an agricultural focus because I've done a good bit of agricultural reporting about citrus greening, and so I know that I enjoy talking to farmers. I think they're incredibly important, more important than sometimes we give them credit for, especially because, you know, I grew up in the suburbs. I don't have an agricultural background, 
And I think it's important for people like myself who, who don't have that background or understanding of, especially where our food comes from, to really amplify that through news stories. And so I knew I wanted it to have an agricultural focus. So it was trying to find a way to combine those things. And so after lots of conversations with Professor Cynthia Barnett, with our co-instructor, Joan Miners, and with the class as well, we forged this idea. So it was kind of a combination of things. I pitched, you know, my broad desire, essentially, to write about agriculture and farming. And then we found a way to fit that into this fertilizer series. And with that, um, we took two field trips together. We went to um, Bartow, Florida, which um, is basically, we went to a... We had to uh, visit Mosaic um, on site, and we look at a phosphate mine. But also New Orleans, we also visited a. Um, we just pretty much visited different parts of the state to see how excessive levels of just also nitrogen as well is affecting neighborhoods as well. So what I wanted to ask was that from the trips that we went on with Mizzou and with us at UF, how did the trip affect you personally and also with your story? It is difficult to. Talk about the impact of the trip. I I know it's cliche, but it's one of those experiences that I'm just never going to forget. No matter how old I get, no matter what, hopefully what future journalistic experiences I have, I I, I have a hope that as I continue into my career, I will continue to have really wonderful journalism experiences. But this was nothing like I'd ever experienced before. Touring Mosaic was now it, it was so powerful because that's not something anyone can do. You know, it's not like they have field trips of kids from public schools just going through there every week. It's not like that. And it is this giant industry, global industry. And we got to look right inside. And it was incredible to me. It reminded me of just how small I am. <laughs> in the sense that there are so many operations happening in the agricultural sphere to get the food onto our tables, in the fertilizer industry to get, the, you know, mine the nutrients. You know, at Mosaic, they, they're mining for phosphate, which is, as I mentioned earlier, is one of the ingredients in fertilizer. It has other uses, too, but that's a primary one. And it just reminds you of how much there is in this world to uncover that we don't know and don't perhaps yet understand, but we can. And that's why I think, too, journalism is so important, because without it, you don't have a class like us going to Mosaic to see firsthand this extremely important facility that, when I told all my friends and family, no one knew what it was. <laughs> And I don't say that in a condescending way. I say that just to, to show how extremely large global industry, as I mentioned earlier, that most people don't really know about. And it takes kind of a lot of under, uh, explaining to, to get to even some of the surface level complexities of it. And we should know because phosphorus, phosphate, which is what they mine for at Mosaic, it's in our toothpaste. It's in our foods. It's in the fertilizer that grows our foods. It's in everything. And a lot of people don't even realize that. And I can say that because I didn't, you know, until I took this class and until I toured the facility. So I think it was extremely impactful, and it was certainly one of the most unforgettable experiences of my life. 
And Abby, you made a really interesting point about Mosaic because I didn't know what Mosaic was until I was introduced this <laughs> idea as well. But it's also kind of like one of those things like in life where you don't hear something and then once you hear it and then you kind of see more and more coming up in your life. Like I've noticed like after we visit the Mosaic plan, I've seen advertisements of Mosaic around me, even to the point of like sometimes like on like, like just like in newspaper ads or something like that. But the most important one that I remember the most was like I think a week after we went to Bartow, Florida to visit the Mosaic plant, I'm watching a Tampa Bay Lightning game, and it's I see the Mosaic logo on the ice for a couple of games right really? after there. Oh yeah. Did you really? Yeah. So I thought that was very eerie. So it's something where it's obviously getting the attention of not just, you know, it's not something that's, you know, just in agricultural fields as well. It's definitely something that's gaining, you know, if if, if it's, if you see the advertisement in a sports game, then obviously, you know, they're definitely making a profit of something. It, that was just kind of something that I, I found kind of interesting that from my own personal observation, I've noticed from there. Yeah. No, that, thank you for sharing that. That's, that's crazy. And, and yeah, like you said, we probably wouldn't have or rather, you probably wouldn't have noticed that if you hadn't gone on this trip. And I'm sure most of the people there in that stadium. A good point you make is like, you know, it's in our food, it's in our toothpaste. And then now as well, like, I'm like, phosphate, okay, we need it. And these are things that they're producing this and, and we need this. Obviously, it might be something that might be bad for the environment, but you know, not trying to sound mean, but humans are not even good for the environment as well. But we also have certain needs that we have to fi- fix as well. So it's a very complicated gray area issue. Like, like um, I, want to, I want to see if you can maybe follow up with that if, if you like. Yeah, and again, I want to clarify, it's, it's not coming at this as, a, oh, people just don't know. You know, it's not like that. It's, it's that, you know, it just reminded me again of how important journalism is, how important news is, because without it you're not going to know about these things and it's important because it affects us and it's going to affect us in the future and I'm just very thankful that I got the opportunity to get this inside look into something that is not accessible normally. <laughs> well um, well, to go from there, let's go to New Orleans. So we basically, yeah. we, well some context as well, a lot of college students spent their spring break relaxing, taking a break detoxing from the madness that school is not us though we kept going and we took this long what eight nine hour road trip together in a van with with cynthia driving us and we drove all the way from gainesville all the way to new orleans in in you know round trip and well like like tell me like tell me from your side of things like what we saw and again like how did this affect your story and how also did this like what did you personally gain from this as well from from the new orleans trip large of an industry, not only phosphorus mining, but just fertilizer is in general, especially in New Orleans, it has a extremely firm grasp on that entire state, really. And the effects are quite clear in the way that it affects the Mississippi River, the Gulf, you know, at the southern point of Louisiana. And seeing that firsthand showed me in terms of my story just how important these new technologies and new efficiencies that these scientists and researchers are looking for, and farmers too, are, and how why telling that story is important and showing why finding fertilizer efficiency is important and why it does impact everyone, perhaps not directly, but I think seeing the way that people live with a view of, you know, chip stacks and an entire 
facility that has chemical burns going off in their backyard in a lot of cases. There was one time we drove by and there was a cemetery right in front of a facility. And that was extremely eye-opening to see because seeing people there entrenched within the industry, and by that I mean, you know, people live in these homes where a mosaic facility is almost right in their backyard, you know, and and so that, that's a pretty sharp contrast even just to the way that Florida is. It just reiterated the importance to me of talking about these things, writing these news stories, uh, because without it, some of the people who lived there where it was right there might not even exactly know. So people who don't live there perhaps don't know what the fertilizer industry is, how it impacts the entire nation, and what sort of our role is within that. And even if we don't have a role, maybe it's just being informed. So I kind of have a couple more questions for you. So my next thing is like, um, tell us about um, how the article turned out. Like, like what was revealed in your article? What did you expand upon more? Like, like give us some more details about the article. I spoke with Brantley Sherrard Jr., the, the main farmer in the story, several times to write the story. I spoke with several different scientists and researchers and uh, people from within the fertilizer industry, people who are not, people who are looking to the future for solutions to kind of compile all the different aspects of the issue. As far as the trips go, I think for me it, was, it wasn't – it was, or rather, it was more of a, of a 30,000 foot view. Now, with that said, one of the people who we spoke to in person in New Orleans was Matt Rhoda, who is who works with a Healthy Gulf nonprofit, and I ended up interviewing him because of our trip, and that was a really helpful interview to add and really bolster the solutions section of my story. Perfect. And my last question for you is, is that, you know, a lot of the people a part of this project, um, we all graduated, most of us graduated, um, Mizzou and UF. I kind of wanted to know, so where can people follow your work? Like, uh, what's going on after you graduated? <laughs> yes, yeah, so I currently work full-time as a journalist at the South Florida Sun Sentinel. I'm the Palm Beach County reporter, so I cover all things Palm Beach. As we're speaking right now, I just finished my first week and I've written so far about some development controversies, uh, some rainy weather season <laughs> outlooks, different things like that. And it's already been really fun, really interesting. And yeah, that's that's what I've been up to since the since we finished our series. Is there anything else that you want to add or say um, as we sign off? I'm just very thankful for the experience that we had to travel. I'm thankful that I got to do it with really wonderful journalists who I'm excited to see where they go next in life and both from Mizzou and U.S. And like I said earlier, unforgettable experience, one that I will absolutely never forget. And it's kind of fun really blowing people's minds with this information because they say, oh, what did you do over spring break? You begin, you launch into this conversation about not only New Orleans, oh, I visited New Orleans, but then you explain the industry, gyp stacks, all these things that people are usually pretty floored. It's kind of fun to have those conversations. Yeah, exactly. And like I said earlier, I think it's really cool when, and obviously we learn this in the classroom, but I think it's even more special when it's kind of like we're going to the story, we're being journalists, and we're really working and learning. So it's kind of like this really cool that 
we've been able to, you know, thanks to Pulitzer Center and, and, and thanks to Sarah and, and Cynthia and, and, um, and Joan for doing, for helping us out with this because it really gets to show how, like, really how, like, New Orleans and Bartow existed as, like, a classroom beyond the classroom, if that makes sense. Like, a really great learning environment. Not only just for the fertilizer industry knowing about that, but I think also for us to, like, be able to really learn about how, you know, we're still molding our craft and as, you know, as most of us are going on and, and going our separate ways to really, you know, do what we want to do with, with journalism and other endeavors in our life. I think it was definitely, I agree, I definitely a trip I'll never forget. You know, I've never been to New Orleans before and I think a lot of people have never been before. Definitely a unique trip and I, I think it's something that not a lot of people can say that uh, they went to New Orleans during spring break uh, on a journalism um, excavation. Um, so yeah, I agree. Yeah. You just made about a classroom outside of a classroom. Right? That's a really good way to sum everything up. Yeah. Well, thank you. Well, um, Abby, I just want to say it's been a lot of fun with this, and um, uh, just uh, keep up with the good work. Thank you. That was Abigail Haysbrook on her story, Fertilized a Flatline. Now, my conversation with Sarah Sowers. Sarah, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your your busy schedule day during the summer and um, having a couple minutes to talk about your article. Thank you so much for having me, Elliot. So, Sarah, um, from your article, it says that uh, it's about seeding research and critics are warning against industry-driven environmental research in Jenison, Florida. Yeah, so I was wondering if you could um, just summarize what this article is about and um, just take us through your research. So, essentially, uh, my colleague Fernando and I wanted to look at kind of what happens with phosphate research in Florida and kind of how scientists' understanding of phosphate influences both the industry and what happens with our natural resource. Florida is very phosphate-rich, and it's a huge industry kind of towards the Lakeland area. And so we just wanted to know, where is this research coming from? What do companies take advice from? And how does that inform kind of our Florida legislature, local legislation, and what does it mean for both the environment and for the use of this natural resource? So a lot of times on this podcast, we've been talking about the trips between to Bartow, Florida and to New Orleans. Um, now, you only went to the Bartow, Florida trip. So I wonder if you could tell me, how did the Bartow trip really help elevate your storytelling? Yeah, I think visiting the Mosaic Mines in Bartow really gave me the ability to see what is happening and translate that for our audience because it's kind of an exclusive area. We had to schedule a special tour in order to get on the property. And I truly didn't believe anything like that existed in Florida until I was there. It's kind of a desolate landscape, unlike anything that I'd ever seen before anywhere traveling, let alone in our in my home state. Um, so I think that that was kind of an interesting place and kind of gave us a deeper look into the entire industry. Our trip to the Mosaic Mines at Four Corners uh, was really influential in my own interest in the in the topic and gave me a little bit of a better understanding of, okay, so there's this large company doing all of this work out here in what feels like the middle of nowhere, but people live, you know, in the areas surrounding these gyp stacks and the areas, you know, surrounding the mines and there are people that work in these mines. And so what impact does this one singular company have 
on the entire landscape of Florida, the industry, and how we understand our environment. And not to mention, what does digging up all of this natural resource mean for the greater landscape? And what does it mean for the economics of our state? How much money and revenue is this bringing in? And what are the motivations behind continuing this mining? If not for, you know, the economic gain, what, what other, what other ways can we gain profit and resource from this land? What are the uh, challenges that you had to go through with this? I know it sounds like a very cliche question, but obviously every journalist or writer that goes through this kind of extensive research has challenges. What were some of the hurdles that you had to face? In the state of Florida, we are lucky to have sunshine laws that make records more available. And so learning about the influence that both the Mosaic Company has had on public university research and, you know, what universities are using their money for and where where that money is coming from was relatively simple to find. However, understanding exactly what this funding, what the intention of this funding was, is a little harder to discern. So we can't assume that, you know, a company wants a certain result by funding research, but we can assume that by funding research at these public institutions, like the University of Florida, for example, um, that these companies are thinking innovatively about the phosphate industry and want to know exactly how and in what ways they can expand their own profits and process while still maintaining something that would be positive for the environment, for the economy, and for humans. With this story that you published, what is something that you want people to mostly take away from it? So I think it's important to remember that everything in you know our lives are are somewhat interconnected and especially this especially holds true when we talk about the environment i think the biggest takeaway has to be that just because a company wants to do something environmental doesn't mean that other agencies whether that be public universities the state legislature even individual representatives from towns surrounding the areas where these mines exist. Money has this influence on every single one of these aspects and changes how, you know, sustainability is looked at and how phosphate is understood. Um, So that was something that was probably my biggest takeaway is that it's not just a company doing their thing on land that they own, but it's something that could really change the landscape of of other industries as well, whether that be, you know, research, receiving hundreds of thousands of dollars of funding from these these companies, or whether that be legislation changing because of this new research and understanding of how to use this resource. And that, you know, it, it all affects people too. Um, all of these decisions, whether we put phosphogypsum waste in roads or whether we continue mining has an impact on on people and they might not realize it because they might not know that in the future they could drive on a phospho gypsum road that would contain 
some level of radiation, not necessarily harmful, but, you know, there's all of these different aspects that just layer on top of one another that really change how I've perceived the industry. As, as this is a part of a series of articles, um, each one does, a, um, each article does a really good job of like pinpointing issues that are going on with fertilizers, but also some beneficial things that are happening at the same time. So um, I just want to say great job on your work. Um, it's I'm sure <laughs> um, hard work is the reward itself, but I just want to say um, congratulations on your publication on this and you did a really good job with this. And thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. That was Sarah Sowers on Seeding Research, a story reported on by Fernando Figueroa and Sowers. We hope you enjoyed our behind-the-scenes look at the Price of Plenty podcast. Thanks for listening. The Price of Plenty was funded by a grant funded from the Pulitzer Center's nationwide Connected Coastlines Reporting Initiative. The Price of Plenty is led by Associate Professor Sarah Hiles at the University of Missouri and Environmental Journalist Cynthia Barnett at the University of Florida with assistance from the Arizona Republic's Joan Miners. This episode was produced and edited by Julia Cooper and Elliot Trito. I'm Elliot Trito, and this is The Price of Plenty Podcast. Mm-hmm.